Welcome back. Hi, guys. Welcome back to Killer Babes. I'm Katie. And I'm Kirby. And this is uh, episode nine. Welcome. So for those of you who are just joining, Katie just got back from vacation. Mm-hmm. So we'll do a little update because I'm curious to see how her vacation went. Oh, okay. Um, it was good. I went to Florida. I know I said that like two episodes ago. And then we, <laughs> I was like, next time we'll tell you how it went. And then the next episode we did like the day after. So I didn't say anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I just got back last night and I'm very depressed. Um, but it's actually pretty warm today, so it's not that bad. Yeah, it was fun. It was uh, so hot. It was like like humid or just like stifling no, it wasn't really too humid yet, but it was like eighties, like upper eighties. Sunny, beautiful. I know. I went to the beach like every single day. Got some freckles. Um, got some burn. Relaxed. Had a few pina coladas. Mm Hmm. Saw a few dolphins. Pretty. Mm, yeah, a lot. And I did visit uh, the Scientology building. Oh my god. I- okay, so... Walk me through the experience. Okay. I will. I'll say it off the bat, though. I did not go inside. But there is a reason for okay. that. Okay. So this place was huge, right? So it's in downtown Clearwater. Um, so we, like, stopped on the way to the beach one day. And... We are like, okay, let's just walk around. Um, this is me and my roommate, Emily, who came down to visit for a couple days. Uh, shout out, hey, um, And we're obsessed with, like, the show about Scientology. So we're like, all right, we got to go look at it. So we're walking around. And you already get, like, a creepy feeling just walking around it. Because it, uh, it – and I said this, and I didn't really realize, but it really is, like, dead in the area. Like, there's not people just, like, walking around. It was, like, literally me and her – and then, like, a couple of old people who were, like, biking. And then, like, nobody else. And we were, like, okay. Like, we stood out. It was weird. And we were just wearing, like, shorts and shirt. Like, but we stood out. Um, and so we're walking around. This building is beautiful. It's huge. Like, it's huge. Like, if you look up, um, it used to be an old hotel. And they kind of restored it to look like its original hotel. It's called the Fort Harrison. So you're walking by. And there's, like, huge windows. But all of them are have curtains or they're like blacked out so you can't see you inside. can't see inside at all okay um, so we're like okay i guess whatever it's kind of weird and there's like a big part of the building and then there's like a, a walkway across the street and a smaller part and we walked around the whole thing in like where their front door is it's it huge it has these like two like spiral staircases going up to it and the front there's like this big thing on the ground that's like a mosaic kind of of like a mountain and it says church of scientology And you're like, okay, so there's no mistaking, like, this is Scientology. We're like, that's cool. We, like, stood there for a second. We were, like, thinking if we should go in or not. We're like, I don't know. And then we noticed this guy, like, just casually strolling around the front door area outside. And he had on a full suit. And he had on, like, a Bluetooth earpiece earpiece (gasps) and and dark sunglasses on. He looked like he worked for the freaking FBI. I'm not kidding. So we're like, okay, what what is this dude doing? And then all of a sudden we see, like, an older guy and a younger kid, almost like his grandkid walk in from off the street like wearing normal clothes and they were walking into the front door uh-huh. and like they kind of stood out because a lot of the people that work there like I said they have like a uniform yeah it's like a vest and stuff but they didn't so they were walking in and they walk past the security guard and as soon as they walk past him he like turns around just has his eyes like laser on them and he just follows them into the building and like closes the door behind him 
And I'm like, oh, so he was like right on their tail. Like, did you stick around to see if these people ever came back we, out? We were looking, but they just went in and then you couldn't see because everything's blacked out. So I'm like, I'm not about to go in there and get followed and questioned. Yeah. It's going to be so annoying. So we decided not to go in. Oh, my god. I know. So, yeah, no, they literally have security, like, blocking it. I really wanted you to take the test. I, yeah, no, I did not. I didn't, <laughs> just did not want to waste the time. Yeah, that's true. But then besides that, like, we honestly thought that there was also, like, incognito like security people around there because we walked around the whole thing there were people just like standing at their cars like on their phone like two people like kind of talking together and like looking at us when we walked by and we were like really like the whole town it just reminds me of the the movie like the Truman Show yes yeah that's kind of like everyone's just poised and ready they're like okay yes but they're acting like yeah 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 Yeah. yep yeah it was you just got like a weird feeling like I really thought we were being watched and now I'm like, they probably, like, have us on some cameras. Yeah. They probably literally had, like, audio of us talking about it. Now they probably, oh, like, have probably. They have our names now, probably. They probably did, like, a full background check on you guys. I know. Like, followed you back to where you were staying. I like, know. I don't know. That's it was so it was kind of creepy. So I was like, uh, I just kind of wanted to get there and, like, get to the beach at that point. But Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. All the windows blacked out. You can't see anything inside. And then there's, like, a part where um, I've seen pictures of, like, the inside and it's beautiful and they have this huge like outdoor pool at one point but when you're walking past it there's like fences up to like as tall as this wall with bushes all around it you can kind of see in the bushes and you can see like this fence with like barbed wire in the bushes and you're like oh my god to keep people out or to keep people like honestly probably both yeah so (sighs) it's beautiful but it's just like dead and not welcoming like you're not yeah yeah, I did not get kidnapped. I <laughs> we told my my grandma that we were going because she lives in like the Clearwater area, and she's like, "Don't go there. They're gonna kidnap you." Honestly, maybe. What if they did? Oh I know God. she was so nervous, so I actually have to lie to her and be like, "I'm just kidding, Grandma. We're not going." <laughs> but we did. Jk, psych. Yeah. But, so I'm still here. I'm still alive. That's that. You just guys be careful if you're going around there. Like, whoo, they know what you're up to damn yeah i wonder if it's the same around here because isn't there one in boston yes but it's probably not the same because this is um this is literally like their, their headquarters headquarter, their universal headquarters yeah. their flag they it says like in big letters on the outside like flag because it's their like flagship oh my God. place i don't even know whoa and then the whole time i was just wondering like I don't know how many people you see like on a day-to-day basis there that are scientologists and you just don't know because the right. normal people are they just go to attend, like, classes or whatever. Yeah. So I'm like, damn, I could be surrounded by Scientologists on this beach right now. I don't know. And then we went on, like, Yeah, a- they're not even at the beach to be at the beach. They're just there to, like... It's a spy on you. So <laughs> yeah, nice like, probably. Yeah, and then we went on this, um, like, speedboat tour thing when we got to the beach um, that I saw a lot of dolphins jumping in the back of. Aww. But they show you, like, they kind of do a tour of the bay, and they show you the church, and then, like, Lisa... Presley, who was Elvis Presley's daughter, I think. Um, they said she's an avid member, and it, they showed us her house, which is like right next to the church, and yeah. it's huge. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of uh, celebrities that yeah. are in the church that have like huge houses down there. Wow. Yeah. What about Tom Cruise? Wasn't he in it? Yeah, I think he must go to the California one though. Oh, gotcha. Because he's like Mr. Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So that's my Scientology story. I 
don't have any more for you because I just could not. Just could not. Couldn't bring myself to go there. That's still quite a heart-wrenching, like, racing. Uh, it was still pretty scary walking around, yeah. Whew. I know. I know. Now we want to go to the California one, Big Blue. Yeah, do it. Yeah, that was it. But I had a nice vacation, a nice week. Well, that's nice. Nice relaxing. I do feel refreshed, even though I don't want to be back. But good. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you do? I was gone. I just went out. Partied without me. Yeah. Honestly, that's not cool. Sorry. It's okay. It's all right. I'm glad to be back. And we can go out. Not next weekend. But maybe the weekend after. Or the weekend after that. Well, we can do our planning off air. We don't need to. We'll <laughs> <laughs> get out our calendars right now and get our pencils out. We have no time for anything else but this podcast. Let's Ugh. get serious. So back true. to work. All right. Well, I think we're going to jump in to the episode now. Enough of me rambling. So sorry. I just heard my own voice for so long. Ugh. All right, guys. So. We are, if you haven't noticed, finally heading into the spring season. Thank God. Bears are coming out of hibernation. Flowers are sprouting. Mm, my daffodils are coming up. They are. They're looking good. Yeah. I'm wearing a t-shirt and I'm not, actually, I'm kind of warm. I'm in a tank top. This is great. Yeah. Sometimes uh, I wish I could just crawl up after the fall and then wake up right about now. Uh, do you have allergies? Yeah. After allergy season. It hits uh, me pretty hard. Yeah. I don't. Well, aren't you just great? (laughs) Well, I'm sure I'm not the only one that wishes that. And if you do too, you would not be the first one to have this idea. This week, we're bringing you the chilling... Chilling. Get it? You will. The chilling tale of farmers who had the same idea from Vermont, the Green Mountain State. Vermonters can be pretty ingenious because, well, they kind of have to be with their harsh New England winters. Picture the stereotypical winter vortex or storm, and you have most of Vermont. According to the United States climate data, average monthly low temperatures in Burlington, Vermont, range from about 10 degrees Fahrenheit in January to about 60 degrees Fahrenheit in July. With average temps below freezing for almost half the year, this makes for a pretty harsh environment. For some people, this just means more time to shred some pow. Shred the gnar. Shred the gnar. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> for, for others, it means about six months of being basically miserable, which is what I fall into. Me. Yeah. But for people of the last century, it meant the inability to grow crops and the threat of famine. Resources were slim back then, and you had to conserve both time, energy, and food. Some Vermonters in the 19th century believed they had the perfect solution for surviving the long winter. So with that, this week we're bringing you a very odd Vermont tale. Thanks to the former Vermont Green Mountain Folklore Society, we are able to bring you a little history lesson on the story. Wesley S. Griswold from Miss not from have you seen Griswold? Oh, you've seen the Christmas one. The Christmas, yeah. Yeah. This is a different Griswold. Yeah. Uh, from Mischief in the Mountains, published The Deep Frozen Folk of Farmer Morse by Vermont Life in 1970. A strange tale appeared on the front page of the weekly Montpelier Argus and Patriot on December 21st, 1887. It all starts with Hannah F. Stevens of Bridgewater, who cut the story out that she read in the newspaper and pasted it in a scrapbook. Why? 
Nobody knows. Maybe she loved the story. Maybe she liked the author. Maybe she wrote it. It's alleged that she was an avid newspaper clipper. Either way, she forgot or neglected to know when the story was written or who wrote the story when she cut the story out of the newspaper. I guess you have to do that when you don't have, like, internet. I guess. Like, back in the back in the day. Yeah, yeah. If you liked something, you had to, like, If you had to, like, recall up. something from, in, like, an article, you couldn't just bring it up on your phone. You had to, like, cut That's out the true. article. And- so maybe she was a historian. Mm. Or maybe she just, yeah, liked newspapers. Yeah. Nobody knows. Mm. Her son, Albert Stevens, discovered it in 1939 and showed it to a Rutland newspaper man. The Rutland Herald reprinted the story on May 24, 1939, saying the source was unknown. Then four days later, the Boston Globe picked it up. The next year, in April 1940, the Yankee Magazine published a story. In 1943, the Old Farmer's Almanac printed another version. The story was repeated on the radio and in lectures, and no one knew what to make of the tale. Some reputable city researchers thought this folk medicine from Vermont could help cure such killers as cancer and heart disease one day. It was regarded as a possible, innovative, and alternative medicine. Mm. So I think you're right. Like, back then, there was no phone. There was no Facebook. There was no easy way of accessing information. WebMD. Yeah. (laughs) This was literally just like a snowball effect of all of these media coveraging uh coverages picking it up and snowball nice <laughs> yeah it just grew bigger and bigger and just spread like a snowball wait what <laughs> well, I, guess, I guess maybe if you like throw spread a snowball like a blizzard at someone. oh yeah well, okay the pun's gone too far That's okay it spread <laughs> it really spread yeah so charles edward crane then wrote the story in his book winter in vermont and in the 1949-50 issue of Vermont Life, Roland W. Robbins said he had found the original publication in the Argus and Patriot by researching it in the Vermont State Library. But he could not identify the author who signed the publication as initials A.M. So he turned to the public. Two years later, he discovered that A.M. was Alan Morse, a dairy farmer from Callis, who was born in 1835 and died in 1917. A reader, Alan Morse's granddaughter, Mrs. Mabel E. Hines of Agawa, Massachusetts, came forward. She remembered hearing her grandfather, Alan Morse, A.M., tell the story so many times when she was young. Each time it was told to her, the story got a little bit more embellished. Mr. Morse wrote on agricultural and political articles for periodicals, stories for the New England homestead, and so on and so forth. He submitted a strange tale to the Argus and Patriot at the request of his eldest daughter, Mrs. Haynes' mother. Her name was Alice, and she worked at Argus and Patriot. She was the one who arranged to have the story published on her dad's 52nd birthday as a surprise. So what are we actually talking about, you may wonder? The following tells the story that Alan Morris told his granddaughter countless times, the story that he eventually wrote from the Montpellier Argus and Patriot, The story that is so curious and perfectly macabre that it was published by newspapers all over New England for years to come. The story of the frozen folk of Vermont. Dun-dun-dun. So, Alan Morse begins by saying the following story is an excerpt from his Uncle William's diary detailing one family's ritual of freezing their elderly and weak members and putting them into cold storage for the winter. 
Hill farmers in Calais, just 20 minutes from Montpellier, were isolated in a mountain town, and each year they faced long, cold winters in Vermont. Their food supply was not enough to get them through. But farmers are a tough breed of problem solvers, so would really expect nothing less from an ingenious law. Farmers developed a process to freeze older family members alive and thaw them out come spring planting. Uncle William supposedly witnessed farmers drug the family members who went about their normal day as the side effects took place. Once fully unconscious, the family members were stripped down to their undergarments and carried outside. They were placed in and on haystacks. Once their fingers, nose, and ears had properly froze in the Vermont weather, the bodies were then placed in boxes surrounded by straw about two feet deep. The faces were covered with cloth and more straw was placed on top of them. Boards were then nailed over the box to protect from predators who are in search of food during the winter. Snow kept the boxes cold and buried and the bodies safe from late December to May. So the following is a story from Wesley S. Griswold from Mischief in the Mountains, published by Vermont Life in 1970. And it is actual excerpts from Uncle William's diary, good old Bill. So Kirby, why don't you uh, read a couple of the entries here? January 7th. And just to <laughs> preface this, um, I was going to try to do it in an accent, but I'm mean, thinking, yeah, about why it. you didn't even attempt? Yeah, I'm just going to throw it out the window. I got just nervous. One sentence. I got stage fright. I don't know how old he is. I don't know what like the. Okay, I'll give you a scenario. Uh, actually, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, right. Did you just get nervous too? <laughs> well, I was like, I don't know if you can do a Vermont accent. Yeah, so I'm just going to read it. Okay. 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 January seventh. I went on the mountain today and witnessed what to me was a horrible sight. It seems that the dwellers there who are unable either from age or other reasons to contribute to the support of their families are disposed of in the winter months in a manner that will shock the one who reads this diary, unless that person lives in that vicinity. I will describe what I saw. Six persons, four men and two women, one of the men a cripple about 30 years old, the other, five past the age of usefulness, lay on the earthly floor of the cabin, drugged into insensibility while members of their families were gathered around them in apparent indifference. In a short time, the unconscious bodies were inspected by several old people who said, they are ready. They were then stripped of all their clothing except a single garment. Then the bodies were carried outside and laid on logs, exposed to the bitter cold mountain air, the operation having been delayed several days for suitable weather. It was night when the bodies were carried out, and the full moon occasionally obscured by flying clouds shone on their upturned ghastly faces, and a horrible fascination kept me by the bodies as long as I could endure the severe cold. Soon, the noses, ears, and fingers began to turn white, then the limbs and face assumed a tallow look. I could stand the cold no longer and went inside, where I then found the friends in cheerful conversation. In about an hour, I went out and looked at the bodies. They were fast freezing. I could not shut out the sight of those freezing bodies outside. Neither could I bear to be in the darkness. But I piled on the wood in the coniferous fire and seated on a shingle block past the dreary night, terror-stricken by the horrible sights I had witnessed. January 8th. Dot, 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 dot. <laughs> we shall want our men to plant our corn next spring, said a youngish-looking woman, the wife of one of the frozen men. 
And if you want to see them resurrected, you come here about the 10th of next May. Dot, 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 dot. Wow, that was really good. I feel like I just got told like a story. Shivers. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. So when spring came, Uncle William did return to the cabin to see the cold, stiff bodies dug up. Spring meant it was time to liberate the hibernating bodies. The families lifted the sleepers into steaming, fragrant baths that were mixed with a mysterious hemlock potion. Lush bath bombs, anyone? Yeah. A little rejuvenation hemp. You're welcome, Lush. That's your new um, bath bomb. Sweet. Mysterious hemlock potion. Or um, like... Bring you right back to life. Oh my god, that's... Damn, that's good. Yeah. Mm. Business. Business ventures. That's we are good. entrepreneurs. <laughs> Jesus. The dull frozen faces slowly brightened and fingers twitched. Family members would rub the bodies as the frozen hill people began to awaken from their slumber. Life returned a few hours later and the family members were carried inside, warmed by blankets, a fire, and a hearty meal. I'm sure they were starving. <laughs> after, the previously frozen seemed to be completely awake and doing just fine. 100% healthy after a four-month sleep and ready to help plant for the upcoming year. Okay, two things. So, <laughs> a hearty meal. You're telling me after these people are, like, starving, and they had to put, like, basically put these people down for, like, four months, right? Yeah. They just, what, stored a couple potatoes for these people when they come probably. back out? Like, yeah, it probably wasn't hearty because the whole reason they were frozen is because they didn't have enough food to eat. Yeah, and can you imagine, like, 100% healthy and ready to help for the next year to plant? Like, no, if I'm asleep for four months, <laughs> you can't just ask me to do physical labor. Like, that's like, like no. Get out. <laughs> Although, I don't know. Let me Four sleep. Months. Okay. You wouldn't want to sleep anymore. You'd be well rested. I don't think so. Because I, if I oversleep, so say I go out and go crazy, right? And I get home <laughs> at 5 a.m. And then I sleep until 5 p.m. I wake up and I feel dead. Like, or if Well, that's I 12 hours of sleep. Uh, and I think, yeah, eight, you're right. Yeah, yeah you get a lot. Eight, you feel. I feel like I'm dying. Same. Like, I, the eight is the perfect number. Yeah. Anything less? For me, it's nine. Oh, mm. I I don't know what it is for me. I just (laughs) know I need like a lot of sleep. Yeah, yeah. They need a good week to. They're gonna be so confused for like a week. You need to like leave them alone. It's not just like a quick dip in water, ready to go. Like oh, they're like what the hell year is it? No, do you remember those capsules that were pills and you like put them in water and then they expand and grow over four? Yeah, into like dinosaurs. Yeah, well, these are just like pill people. Like, hill pill people. Stick them in some water and boom, ready to go. Hearty meal. Yeah. Pop them in the field. Pretty much. They just start, like, talking. They're like, oh, hey, mom. (laughs) How you doing? And, like, how long's it been? Jesus. Anyway. All right. So here's another snippet from Uncle William's diary. This is May 10th. The men commenced work at once, some shoveling away the snow and others tearing away the brush. Soon the box was visible. The cover was taken off, the layers of straw removed, and the bodies, frozen and apparently lifeless, lifted out and laid on the snow. Large troughs made of hemlock logs were placed nearby, filled with tepid water, into which the bodies were separately placed, with the head slightly raised. Boiling water was then poured into the troughs from kettles hung on poles nearby, until the water in the trough was as hot as I could hold in my hand. Hemlock boughs had been put in the boiling water in such quantities that they had given the water the color of wine. After lying in this bath about an hour, color began to return to the bodies when all hands began rubbing and chafing them. This continued for about another hour when a slight twitch of the muscles of the face and limbs, followed by audible gasps, 
showed that life was not quenched and that vitality was returning. Spirits were then given in small quantities and allowed to trickle down their throats. Soon they could swallow and more was given them when their eyes opened and they began to talk and finally sat up in their bathtubs. They were then taken out and assisted to the house, where after a hearty dinner they seemed as well as ever, and in, now wise, in no wise injured, but rather refreshed by their long sleep of four months. I just don't know. I just don't know if they'd be refreshed. I mean, I just don't think it actually happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> so Mark Bushnell of Vermont journalist and historian, and author of Hidden History of Vermont and It Happened in Vermont, reported the following. Allegedly, Alan Morris told this story at a family reunion at Curtis Pond in Callis, Vermont, where he lived. Legend has it, he didn't really plan on telling this story, but he then decided to after being overshadowed by his cousin's wild tales. So his cousin, Benjamin Morris, claimed that he and his wife were on their way to a reunion, or the reunion, when they noticed a blue flame coming from a grave in a nearby cemetery. Family members at the reunion were floored by Ben's story. They surrounded him in a state of awe. They were firing off questions. They wanted to know what happened. <laughs> Alan was standing in the back. He's fuming because his cousin's in the spotlight. And, you know, that took the attention off of him. And he had to do one better, said Robert Morse, a distant relative of Alan Morse, who grew up as part of the well-known Morse family of the Montpellier area. And... Robert Morse says that Alan was supposed to be the storyteller in the family. So someone outdid his story. I feel like we can all picture someone here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I gotta get the spotlight back. Yeah, I gotta get, I gotta get Hey, story. everyone, listen to this. You saw a blue light? Well, guess what I saw? <laughs> so Mark Bushell adds, uh, he said, quote, When I reached him by phone several years ago at his home in Colorado, Robert Morse said he had learned about the story in the 1950s from Hines, who was an elderly woman at the time. He also added a new wrinkle to the story, end quote. Robert Morse said he was told Benjamin Morse wasn't making things up when he reported seeing a blue flame in the cemetery. Others at the reunion said that they had seen the exact same thing before, but they didn't describe it to anything supernatural. Um, they just figured it was from bodies being burned without caskets. And as those bodies decomposed, they said gases escaped and worked their way up through the soil and just burst into flame when they met the atmosphere. Yeah, that Ooh. doesn't sound right. Poof. Yeah, I, I, I feel like a lot of cemeteries like, would have blue flames, no? Like, it can't just be one cemetery. Well, well, yeah, it says the bodies are buried without caskets, so... Well, yeah, but a lot of... That happened, like, to a lot of them. And even if you did have a casket, if it was all wood and it decomposed eventually, wouldn't it still be... You'd think. Exposed? Yeah, I don't... Would it be a bigger flame? Because it would just, like, ignite the... You know what? The These people are just all full of gas. <laughs> <laughs> Poof. So here's a nice poem we found on the former Vermont Green Mountain Folklore Society's website. It's no longer um, in action, I guess, unfortunately, uh, due to funding. But it was printed at the Turnbridge World Fair from handset metal type on an 1885 hand-fed letterpress. And it's titled, Why I Can't Leave Vermont. Hmm. It's just a little ditty. It's winter in Vermont in the gentle breezes below. 17 miles per hour at 52 below. Oh, how I love Vermont when the snow's up to your butt. You take a breath of winter air and your nose, it freezes shut. Yes, the weather here is wonderful, so I guess I'll hang around. I could never leave Vermont because I'm frozen to the ground. <laughs> Author unknown, but I do like that. That's funny. 
That's cute. Kind of sounds like a kid wrote it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't all poems that rhyme. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. So, you've heard the story, but is there actually any science behind it? Well, cryonics, or the freezing of a human corpse in the hopes of resurrection, is something that is still being done today. However, unlike the Hill Farmers of Vermont, the uh, resurrection part has not yet been achieved. Cryonics procedures can only begin after the patient is deemed legally dead. Within minutes of dying, the body is exposed to temperatures below around negative 130 degrees Celsius to preserve enough brain information to permit future revival of the cryopreserved person. Cryonics proponents take a pretty radical stance by saying that a human can survive even with an inactive brain that has been badly damaged, provided that the original coding for memory and personality can be inferred and reconstituted from the structure that remains. In short, basically, they claim that as long as the brain is preserved and intact, it is possible to recover its information content. In order to actually accomplish the revival part of the whole ordeal, uh, technology would be needed to repair or regenerate tissue that was damaged during the process. So, unfortunately, uh, this kind of technology doesn't exist right now, but the hope is that it will exist in the future to resurrect the preserved bodies. If this sounds like something you're interested in, you better start saving your money now because as of 2011, U.S. cryopreservation costs can range anywhere from 28000 to 200000 Buckaroonies. You can opt to have only your brain cryopreserved rather than your entire body. However, guys, before you all go running to your nearest cryopreservation place to sign up. And we know you all want to. And we know you all want to. Um, you should probably know this first. The process of cryonics has faced great skepticism by scientists. Basically, there's like very little research and peer-reviewed papers on the topic because it is ba- it's basically outside the focus of like most academic fields. Uh, William T. Jarvis, who was an American health educator, wrote that, quote, cryonics might be a suitable subject for scientific research, but marketing an unproven method to the public is quackery, <laughs> unquote. <laughs> I just like that word. Yeah, me too. I should start using it. Quackery. Cryonics faces a number of obstacles to reach the last stage of the process. Preservation itself is an obstacle. Um, Contrary to popular belief, the cells don't actually burst during freezing, but instead they become dehydrated and compressed between ice crystals that surround them. Cryoprotectants, or antifreeze compounds and proteins, uh, would be needed to allow the frozen cells to function again after thawing out. Revival is another point of contention, as it would require extensive tissue regeneration. And finally, cryonics has created a kind of legal issue. Uh, There are currently no state or federal laws in the U.S. that are specifically aimed at cryonics, or which actually mention it by name. However, most countries, including the U.S., legally treat preserved individuals as deceased persons because of laws that forbid vitrifying someone who is medically alive. Dead people have rights, too. That is to say that a person that has the right to decide what will happen to their body once they are dead, including, quote, donating their body to a cryonics company for, quote, research. I do want to donate my body to research, um... And maybe this is, like, what I donate my body to. I mean, I I think they kind of have to say that 
you you kind of have to say that you're donating it to this place for research, even though it's not really research. They're not doing anything with you. They're just freezing. They're you. just freezing you. But um, from what I read, they kind of have to like do some loopholes. Yeah. In like laws and state laws because it's. I mean, everything is vague right now, and nothing actually has anything about cryogenics yet. I think they probably will soon, because this is still such a new thing. They have to kind of say that you're donating it to science in order to do it. My interest is piqued. Do you want to donate it to science, like, actually? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, actually, actually. Yeah. And whether that's just someone, like, opens me up on a science lab 101 table. But wouldn't that be kind of cool? Um, although no, but not weird things. Yeah, I don't know. I just I would want to be like maybe five oh six instead of one oh one, but you know, you think you're that interesting that you would be a five oh six course? Oh, for sure. You're maybe that not complicated. Like, I'm not like an eight fifty, <laughs> but I'm definitely like a five oh six. What's a five oh six? I don't know. I, like, <laughs> I don't even know what to sing. I just feel like you know, like one oh one, and then you know, yeah, you're like basic. Like you're the most gear. basic yeah. shot up on that table. They're they like just practice like this cutting. Is white girl one oh one. Let me <laughs> yeah. tell you. <laughs> but in all seriousness, yes, I do want to donate my body. To yeah, me too. I think that's cool because I—it's the same reason why I'm a, like an organ donor too. And I, people are like, "Oh, I'm not organ donors," because like, what if you're you're in an accident? People just like kill you so that they can get your organs. Like, no, maybe sometimes, but like that's not the case. It might have happened like once or twice, but like, like in the office. Yeah, <laughs> but like, come on, just do it. You know, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Also. Um, well, actually, you're going to list off a couple people that are kind of famously known for this, but um, it's a huge rumor that Walt Disney is frozen. Yeah, they... Um, it's a rumor. He's not really. It's a rumor, but I've heard of other famous dead people who have asked to to do this. And can you just imagine a world like we, we get chirogenics, right? And it... <laughs> revives all of these famous awesome people and then mm-hmm. Walt Disney just comes out with like new hits and great Disney classics do we really need him like we're still making movies without him true but I would be curious to see what he uh, has cooked up in his frozen time <laughs> like oh yeah all the things in his subconscious that are still going yeah like it would be like frozen but frozen point two, like next level frozen. yeah that's a it's a conspiracy that frozen is actually about Walt Disney being frozen. I read that somewhere. <laughs> There's like a bunch of connections between it. Comes back as like a singing ice princess. <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. Olaf was actually him the whole time. Just <gasps> oh, like, that is some inception. Yeah, Illuminati. But he was cremated, so Disney stuff. But do we know that? Yeah, I read that. But do we know that? Um, I mean, no, I guess not. I wasn't there. I wasn't there either. Cannot confirm. I bet someone was there. I don't know if they can confirm. There have been, like, body doubles and stunt doubles, you know, where you could cremate, like, literally plastic or something. And if you watched it, I don't know. Who knows? Like Avril Lavigne. Oh, wait, no. She's, she's supposed alive. to be dead. No, she died in 2007. Isn't, you've never seen that conspiracy? That's a conspiracy. It's not real. I, I know. I'm just obsessed with it. It's so funny. <laughs> wait, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that was, like, one of your obsessions. Um, I guess that's being dramatic, but. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I definitely well, we can, like, finish this up, but um, I definitely wouldn't. I don't want my body being frozen. Not even for science. And then brought back to life. Who? You'd be, like, some morbid, like, frozen Frankenstein. I know. I don't well, wanna... not, like, you in, in particular. Like, it wouldn't be, like, no. if you would just came back. <laughs> I didn't mean, like, anybody. I feel like the first test run of people are just going to be, like, so sleepy, zombie-like, frozen people. <gasps> Game of Thrones, White Walkers. They just Ooh, come back I don't back. watch it. 
well, it's could be. It's okay, it could be one, one of the plot lines. Maybe they were Cairo preserved. Anyway, here are some more noteworthy people who have been cryopreserved. It's cryopreserved. <laughs> anyway, here are some more noteworthy people who have been cryopreserved. It literally says cryo. It's C R Y O. Well, Don't try to bend me into something it's not. <laughs> the English language. <laughs> I like break it up into syllables for uh, you. Yeah, do like the clapping. Cry O preserved. Here are some more noteworthy people who have been cryo preserved. Perfect. Killed it. <laughs> Killed it, then froze it, then brought it back to life. Oh, I love that. <laughs> L. Stephen Coles was a co founder and executive director of the gerontology research group. <laughs> Why are you giving me all the hard work? <laughs> I don't need your help. <laughs> Gerontology. Gerontology. Okay. The scientific study of old age, the process of aging. Oh, so I was close. I said geriatrics. Particular problems of old people. Gerontology. Gerontology. <laughs> I'm still probably going to fuck it up when I read it. <laughs> okay. The first person we have is Al Stevens Coles. <laughs> it was the co-founder and executive director of the. I, I don't think you said his right name right. I said. <laughs> I forgot it. Okay. Okay. Hang on. <clears throat> Gerontology. Gerontology. <laughs> So Stephen L. Coles, <laughs> L. Stephen Coles. So L. Stephen Coles. You can't uh, start like that. Okay. Okay. On. L. Stephen Coles was the co-founder and executive director of the Gerontology Research Group. He conducted research on aging and specifically on supersedentarians. <laughs> are you shitting me right now? I can't remember that there was a name. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I nailed it, but anyway. <laughs> people who read or surpass their 110th birthday. So, I'm not even going to reread it. It's good. It's perfect. <laughs> Congrats if you reach 100. Happy birthday. Think, yeah, that's that's huge, but reaching your 110th birthday. That's super centenarian. Okay, so our next famous person is Harold Finney, who is the developer for PGP Corporation. He was credited as a lead developer on several console games. He was also an early Bitcoin contributor. Ooh, you would know all about Bitcoin. Yeah, because I'm invested. Holla. It's rising. Hopefully it gets up to 10000 because it dropped significantly and I lost all my monies. But you broke... Anyway, I'm still holding out that it's going to be like a 15-year thing and I'm going to be a millionaire. And when I become a millionaire off of Bitcoin, I'll share my wealth with you. Wow. 
Well, I like won't give you it, but like, you know, I'll hang out and we can go on a vacation or something. Oh. Yeah. Like I'm not just going to hand over my Bitcoin monies. That's fine with me. Cool. I still don't know what Bitcoin is and it's been a few years, but. Maybe we do a podcast on Bitcoin. Nope. And maybe we don't. Our next famous contestant is Ted <laughs> Williams, an American professional baseball player. <coughs> Sorry. American professional baseball player and manager. He played his entire 19th year MLB career. Why are you reading this like they're all contestants of a dating <laughs> show? Like, I feel like it's a Shrek when he's like, and oh. next we have Princess Fiona. Number three, my lord. Number Fiona three. Okay, but that could be, all right, hear me out, another business venture. We bring all of these people back to life, and it becomes a chirogenic, cryogenic dating <laughs> app. Dating show. No, that was your worst one yet. You think so? Yeah. I feel like the people would be tuned in to watch these people come back to life. Like, if they set it up, come back to life. Oh, yeah. Disoriented. I don't think they want to date them, though. Like, think <clears> about it. Oof. I don't know. Someone's going to want to date Walt Disney, and someone's going to want to date Ted Williams. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, he played his MLB career with none other than the Boston Red Sox. Whoop, whoop. From 1939 to 1960, nicknamed the Kid, Williams is regarded as one of the greatest players in baseball history. And I think he might have to take the sport up again when he's resurrected. Yeah. That would be awesome. You know the Field of Dreams movie where the baseball... Uh, well, anyway, I think they like it. They're like ghosties and they're in like the field or whatever. Angels in the outfield? Yeah, angels in the outfield. <laughs> you could literally have like Where there's players. angels in the outfield? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. Oh my God. Well, anyway, is this a great tale of the frozen folks um, of Vermont? Is this fact or fiction? You know, I don't know. It's 2019. We haven't heard of any modern day Vermonters doing this still. But if you ask <laughs> anyone if they've heard of the story in Vermont, you know, they'll probably tell you yes if they're from Vermont. And some will even swear to this day that it's true. The story probably came from old Uncle Bill's imagination as epidemics of typhoid and diphtheria were very common. Um, unfortunately, the bodies did have to be preserved over the winter. I think in our former episodes in Vampires. Yes, from Mercy Brown Mercy had to Brown. be. Yeah. yeah. They had to keep them in uh, the crypt to keep them cool and preserved. And, you know, it, the ground was way too hard and no one could <laughs> dig it. Way too hard. <laughs> well, it was. They didn't have, like bulldozers back then they had to do it by hand so you know you just wait till the ground's soft enough to bury them mm -hmm. but you never know maybe vermonters were onto something i mean you see this kind of deep freeze all the time in science fiction like han solo he was frozen in carbonite just good him he came back perfectly fine he was a little blind but he got his vision back <laughs> and then today there are cryogenic spas that practice cryotherapy which is essentially like a cold treatment you do two to three minutes of exposing your skin to negative 200 degrees fahrenheit and it targets little it targets uh, conditions like pain relief, uh, reduces pain joints, releases chronic fatigue, weight loss. It burns more calories. Um, it's really this is pretty big in athletes, uh, the athlete world and sports. Would you do it? I've done an ice bath, which is <clears throat> yeah. not no, this because that this is like you walk in, it's like mm -hmm. a tube, and it's just like whoosh, and you just see like a bunch of mist or like frozen air. I don't know, maybe it's just cold air, but. Um, yeah, I did an ice bath and I could not get warm for a whole day. I, it's terrible. I hate doing ice I baths. I wonder if this would be different, like, because it's not water. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. 
I would try it, but I'd be nervous. I would 100%. Yeah, I would try it because it's definitely like the big thing in, you know, spa therapy, even like little treatments of this, like is just like a pinpoint. Mm. It's supposed to treat on facials or whatever. So, you know, who knows? Maybe cryogenic spas can suspend death one day and mm. perhaps the farmers in Vermont can give us a few tips to staying younger or, you know, staying alive. So do you believe it happened? You know, I still stand by my original statement. I would hibernate like a bear, but I don't know how <coughs> tired I would be when I awake. You would be a grumpy ass bitch. I would be a grizzly bear. You would be grizzly. Yeah. I'd be so bored. As a I, bear? I guess your brain is off. Hibernating. Yeah, you must have some wild REM dreams. <clears throat> yeah. It's like cold. Like, you know when you have a cold and you have dreams, but it's just that for like four months. Well, it's because you're on like cough syrup. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, you guys, <laughs> let us know. You think this happened? I want to hear from people from Vermont. I know yeah. a couple of you, so you guys better tell me um, if you've heard of this. And if you have, um, what if you've heard anything else. I'm sure people have, like, grandparents who... Oh, yeah. If you guys have done this to your family members, write us. Oh, yeah. If you guys... Yeah, if you've frozen your family members. Yeah, let, let us, us know. know how it went. Yeah. Interested. Interested for a friend. Yeah, I was like, uh... <laughs> feel bad for your mom. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! All right, guys. That was a fun little spring story. <clears throat> yeah, we figured we'd do it. It's about springtime. Yep. We're feeling it. We're laying out in the sun. I got my little spring spritzer. Mm-hmm. Barefoot. Mm. Raspberry pineapple. Yeah, we're ready for it. Yummy. So I feel like we, at the conclusion of this podcast, just came out of our hibernation. And mm-hmm. now we're ready to... Yeah, spring has sprung, people. Yes. We're turning over a new leaf. Yes, we are. And with that, I think we're... Uh, we're good to go. We're good to go. We're going to go out and garden some. I'm not. Yeah, I might, but not this weekend. I'm going to plug it. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Babes Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Killer Babes Pod because it got cut off. And at any time, email us, killerbabespodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yes, we would. Questions, comments, concerns, yeah, name it. We got some answers. <laughs> <laughs> Follow us. Uh, we'll post some fun stuff. And that's all we have for you today, guys. Thanks, guys. See you later. Bye.